0: Continue to worship as we look at Galatians chapter 5 and we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 26, Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Now if you are, uh, have been with us for a while you know that Paul's main message has been very clear. His message has been you are free in Christ. Um, the gospel of Christ sets you free. And the specific application last week was free to lovingly serve others. So everyone woke up this morning desiring to get up first and get their spouse a cup of coffee, right? Everyone felt that? I mean, I know I certainly did, darling. I know that. No, obviously, we wake up every morning and there's a huge part of our heart that wants to do what? Wants to be served. Wants to be the recipient of of other people's service. And... So you might be wondering, well, I don't feel so free. Or perhaps last week um, you, you share the same struggle that uh, several people came and talked to me afterwards. The specific application was forgiveness. Uh, be able to forgive others who have hurt you so that you don't bite and devour one another. And then I had people saying, well, how do I do that? I mean, uh, you know, I just keep putting myself out there and let them hurt me. And I said, no, there's a difference between trusting and forgiving that we, we want to forgive Christ sets us free from holding grudges, he allows us to give grace and forgiveness as we have received um, undeserved grace and forgiveness, but the that doesn 't mean you don 't set boundaries and keep keep uh, be, be wise in the way you live, but the question is, do you feel free? Have you experienced the freedom as a believer to live out this this call that God has given you because we've seen that our mission uh, or God's mission is to take his glory to the ends of the earth to take his love to the ends of the earth to bring his forgiveness and grace to transform lives to the ends of the earth and when he saved us individually he incorporated us in that mission he saved you for the purpose of being free from everything freed to obey his his will for the mission of God and so some of us may be sitting there saying, well, I just don't feel free. You know, I still have tremendous struggles to live out this freedom. And I would say, well, that's exactly where Paul goes today. Paul is going to give us help on how to think about a little more particular, the nature of the freedom that we have in Christ. What does it look like daily to be free in Christ? And so we're going to look at the the aspects or four aspects of the freedom of Christ as we look at Galatians 5, 16 through 26. And Paul says, "...but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please." But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who, believe, who, who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh... With the passions and desires, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Lord, I ask for your help this morning. Um, we're not here just to have a cognitive exercise of, of thinking about this letter. We're, we're here for a spiritual transformation, Lord. We believe that your spirit takes the word of God and as we diligently and properly study the word and understand what what you have said to us through this word that you then transform us and change our hearts that we would live differently. And so we ask you to do that this morning by the, the transformational power of your spirit according to your will. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright, so what we see um, in this passage is we're going to look at four aspects of Christian freedom as he kind of zeroes down a little more in understanding the nature of this freedom. We've been set free, you've been set free, okay, well then what, what exactly does this look like in my life? And so the first aspect we'll look at is the nature of the struggle, the struggle that is in the midst of Christian freedom. We find that in verses 16 through 18. He says, but I, walk, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And so here Paul acknowledges that, yes, you're free in Christ, but that freedom involves great struggle. It's not just a, a struggleless or effortless freedom. There is a struggle involved in the freedom. So I want to look at three little smaller points about it. First of all, I think Paul shows us, and when you especially see the, the larger teaching on this topic in the, all the Scriptures, Paul, first of all, says that there has been an initial break from the ruling power of sin or the flesh in your life. That there is an initial break of the ruling power that it has in your life. Though there's a struggle that will follow, there should be an initial break of the rule that sin and selfishness has in your life. Uh, When you compare verse 16 and verse 18 together, you see there are parallel verses. They line up and you can learn, we can glean a little from that. Verse 16 says, walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Verse 18 says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So walking by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit are parallel. Not carrying out the desires of the flesh and not being uh, under the law are parallel. And both of those, what we see is there's a promise attached to that conditional command. The promise is you are not under the law and you are not going to carry out the desires of the flesh if you are walking and being led by the Spirit of God. And so that's a, a very important thing to understand Paul is saying when you became a Christian when you came to the point in your life where you realize I'm a sinner and there's nothing I can do to get rid of my sin as I shared with someone on the front porch this weekend it's not like there's a scale of good and bad and I just hope at the end of my life I've done more good than bad because once we've done one bad the scale has just been we're done we have to have a Savior. And Christ says, I did for you what you could not do. I lived perfectly according to the will of God. And so once we trust in Christ and we understand His blood cleanses us, and that's the only hope we have, we are filled with the Spirit of God. That's new birth, regeneration, conversion, all these different terms. There is, that is being born again. That is a new creature that we are now in Christ. And with that reality comes a decisive break that the sin of the flesh had over us. There is, we are set free from the penalty of sin, and we are set free from the ruling power of sin in our lives. And it's very important to understand that, because as you live out the Christian life, there's going to be many days that you struggle and think, I don't know that I have have." victory over the sin i don't know that i have really been set free from the power of sin in my life because of this extreme struggle that i'm having paul says first of all understand you're not under the law you're not trying to keep law to be right with god you're no longer living according to the old flesh you are now living by the spirit of god and you have been set free from the ruling power that sin had in your life So that's the first thing to know. And in your experience of your freedom, as you struggle, because he acknowledges clearly there is a struggle here. As you struggle, know, first of all, you have been given the power to say no to temptation. That's important clarification to understand. I am saying that you have been given the power that as you are tempted to sin, you have the power to say no to that sin. Because Christ has given you the power in the cross to say no to sin. But at the same time, we see we will not always say no to that sin, that there is a struggle involved. So expect initial break from the power, but now expect that there is a battle of passions and desires that is going on inside your heart. The fact that there is a continual walking by the Spirit indicates an ongoing journey There's an initial break of the ruling power, but there will continue to be a struggle. Paul says the flesh and the spirit are working against each other so that we are not able to do the things that we please. Now, what that means is there's good news and bad news. It means bad news is you will not always obey like you want to obey. The good news is you will not always give in to the sinful desires of your flesh. There is a battle You will not be able to do what you want to do always. And Paul talks about that in Romans and that fascinating passage of Romans 6 and 7. He says, oh, the things that I I want to do, I find I'm not doing. And the complete opposite things I I shouldn't do, those are things I find myself wanting to do. The idea is there is a struggle in the Christian life. Even though you've had a decisive break from the power of sin, you're not decisively broken from the presence of, of sin. There is a a remnant of, of sinful presence that still wars against the desires of the Spirit. And so Paul is saying, expect that, know that. Know there's a break. You have been given victory, but there is a battle. You will continue to struggle and you will continue to have a battle in the Christian life. And so what this tells us though is that we should expect that the, the Christian life is not just one of the passivity A passive nature. It's not just, okay, God saved me, and now I'm just going to sit back and, and trust that the Holy Spirit will give me new desires, and I'll just obey whenever He gives me the desire to obey. No, this idea here is there is a struggle. There is a striving. There is a laboring. There is a battle. There is a war. You are waging war against the sinful desires of the flesh. In fact, Paul tells Timothy, a young preacher boy of Paul's, he says, listen, in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And then he compares it to bodily discipline, how we discipline our bodies. But he says, how much more for godliness, because it has eternal benefits. He says, it's a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, for it is... For it is for this that we labor and we strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all. So Paul's telling the young pastor, listen, Timothy, I want you to know that the Christian life is not just kick back and let God do His thing. It's a war. You fix your eyes on the hope of Christ, you fix your eyes on Jesus and the gospel, but you labor and you strive and you work to wage war with sinful desires that keep trying to overcome you. And so, yeah, there's been a decisive break. You have been given the power to say no to sin, but it will be a war. It will be a battle. You must wage war against the sinful desires of the flesh. And that takes striving. It takes laboring. The Christian life is not easy. It's hard work. It takes much labor and energy and striving and walking. But Paul is not saying just be given in to a lukewarm life. He's not saying this is just going to be the way it is. You're going to win some. You're going to lose some. And in the end, God will finally do away with it. He says expect progressive victory in the process he says as you walk you will not do the deeds of the flesh and so the idea is to the extent that you're walking in the spirit you will see that you are not walking in the flesh and as a believer you should see a new overarching character of your life there should be the mark of being the child of God on your life. Just like my children, if you saw them, you would know those are grandkids. Poor things. But there's something they, they can't deny. I know they're not exactly like us. They're not, their behavior's not perfectly like ours. But there's a mark on them that, that you know they're our children. There should be a mark on your life that you are God's children. There is a newness about you, a new path, a new walk, new desires doesn't mean absent of waging war, but there should be new desires. In fact, the waging of war is further evidence of the new desires. The one who thinks, I'm not in a battle, has probably given in to the sin. Instead of thinking that the battle means maybe I'm not saved, you might find encouragement to say, it's tiring, it's hard, and I'm getting tired of the battle, but praise God, I'm still in the battle. See, the Christian life is more like... probably not so much like the Saints' offense. Theirs is a little too direct. But let's imagine the Saints on a long, steady, prolonged drive where the running back is handed the ball and he knows, I've got to churn those legs and they've got these big old thighs and they're just churning those legs and amazingly, one guy is able to move a pile of four and five, six guys and he makes forward progress though it was with great labor. And the next play is a short dump off pass, a screen for five or six yards. Next play is another run, another run. Maybe we lose a yard. Maybe we get sacked. But then there's a long throw down the middle. That's more what the Christian life is like. It's, it's not just a, a, just a walk in the park, but it's a battle. It's keeping those legs churning. It's keep working hard, keep striving, keep laboring, And you will see progress. You may take a step back sometimes when you fail. But ultimately, when you look at your life, you will reach the end zone. You will get there. You will attain the goal. You will see progress in your life. So this should encourage us as we understand the freedom that we have in Christ. It's not just a Hail Mary passing. It's a piece of cake. It's a lot of work. It's striving, it's laboring, but remember that you should be encouraged. Number one, you've been given the ability to say no and to make progress. There has been a decisive break over the ruling power of sin in your life. Though you'll continue to struggle against some, the, the remnant, the, the remaining presence of sinful desires, but you can expect progressive progress, forward progress over the course of your life. God will make sure. That this is finished in your life. Some of you have seen the decisive break happen in a person's life. In fact, one of the members that are joining this year shared with—I mean, this—that this, just joined in their testimony. She shared about how she had, in the struggles of her life before Christ, had a struggle with alcohol, and then God saved her, and instantly it was gone. And that is an amazing testimony of the power of God in a person's life. But it's not always that way. It's not always that vivid and that visual. But that is a very powerful picture of the reality that in all of us, upon salvation, we have effectively had, uh, had have, uh, success and victory over the ruling dominion of sin and power in our life though it will continue to be a growing continual process. So that's the nature of the struggle that we'll have as we try to live out the freedom that we have in Christ. Second, we see the nature of the flesh in verses 19 through 21. We see what is on the side that is working against our new spiritual desires. We see in verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and all kinds of things like these. Which he says, now, if this is your life, and this is the overall character of your life, then you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So in this list... Paul describes the nature of the flesh which is warring against the Spirit who is in you. The nature of the flesh. This basically is a picture of your life apart from Christ. Now, by the common grace of God, it's not to the full extent in every one of our lives, but this is what you do when you don't have Christ in your life. You work to achieve what only Christ can give you, and the result are deeds of immorality, deeds of the list that is listed here. So let's flesh this out a little bit. What do you mean when you try to get what only Christ can give you? You see, every single one of us has a desire to worship. We were created to worship God, and so within us there's this craving a very strong passion and desire to worship, to give ourselves to someone, to something, to to work to achieve that goal of, of having peace and reconciliation with God. God put that in us, and all of us have that. And the problem is, when we don't find that in Christ, we put our worship, our identity our passions, and our desires into something, a gift that God has given us. Just take the example of a spouse. A spouse is a great gift from God, but they are not to be your God. Ladies should not see their husband as their ultimate provider, though provision of a husband is a great blessing. Husbands should not see in their wife their sense of, I'm okay and I am worthy. Because if we do that, we will find that as we put our worship in God's blessings, we become enslaved to those very things that were meant to be blessings, and they become curses. And that's what happens in this list, all of this, these, these are deeds that are produced by us working to obtain these things that out of gifts instead of from God. Just let work through a few examples. Sex is a gift from God, but when it is abused and seen as God itself as the only way to have fulfillment in life, then it becomes a life of deeds of immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Another example is when we when we become consumed with entertainment and pleasure, or busyness. Usually, the numbing of pain or sorrow is affiliated with that. We're trying to numb ourselves of some pain or some sorrow or some guilt. We give ourselves into drunkenness and carousing. It's a lifestyle of not feeling what I'm missing. When you've not enjoyed the unconditional love and acceptance that's found only in Christ. Forgiveness that you did not deserve. Grace you did not earn. Favor you certainly did not deserve. When you have not experienced the wholeness, the acceptance, unconditional love of your Creator. You will look for that in your other relationships. And then they become a perversion. They are no longer gifts, and they will be filled with enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions. Because they are not built on the foundation of the gospel. And if someone threatens love, you get violent. And you do not have the position of saying, I'm okay. Because you're not okay in Christ. And so what we see, the deeds of the flesh are deeds that are produced out of people trying to work for things they can only find as a gift in Christ. In Christ, I am forgiven, though I don't deserve it. I'm accepted. My identity is a saint. All of that makes me able to then live the complete opposite of this life described here though it is a battle. So we see the nature of the struggle, but we've seen the nature of the flesh that helps, that wars against the Spirit now, the nature of the Spirit. That's found in verses 22 through 23. Here he says it's fruit instead of deeds, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So here, Paul turns to the nature of the Spirit and he describes it as fruit instead of deeds. And that's an important distinction. Because having love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those are not things that we produce in our own willpower and strength. They are more like fruit in a tree where a branch is connected to the trunk, which has life-giving nutrients running through the sap of the tree that produces the fruit. And all the branch does is display it, hold it, bear the fruit. That's how this transformation happens in the Christian life. That the Holy Spirit who came into your life upon faith in Christ is the nutritious, the, the sap that runs through the tree that produces miraculously this fruit that nobody can explain exactly how it happens. But the Holy Spirit produces the fruit. We're the branches that just bear the fruit. We just display the fruit. And so we see that this is not something... A labor and a striving that the Christian life is about is not a labor and striving to just, with my willpower, be more patient. Ham had a great example in his life of how that's what he thought. was. He ran around the track, I'm going to be patient, I'm going to be patient. Alright, next lap is joy. I'm going to be joyous, I'm going to be joyous. I love using his foolish mistakes instead of mine. But seriously, there's a great commentary that he's, he's produced in the study guide this week, just going through these lists of the fruit of the Spirit and how Keller shows that we can make the mistake of, instead of allowing Christ to produce that fruit in our life, we can counterfeit those things very easily. And then we can think that we're making progress, but it's not at all. It's, it's nothing more than prideful works of our own will. But we have to learn how to walk by the Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit is produced by the Spirit and we just bear the fruit like branches. And so that leads us to our final, which is the nature of the walk. In verses 24 through 26, we see Paul kind of getting a little more detailed into the nature of the walk when he says walk by the Spirit. He says, "...by those who belong to Christ Jesus..." Excuse me. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So here Paul describes the walk of the Spirit requires two feet to walk. With one foot we are crucifying the flesh, and with the other foot we are walking by the Spirit. And so it's this dual process of of crucifying the sinful desires of the flesh as we walk by the Spirit of God. Now, the crucifying the sinful desires of the flesh, we've said, is a a one-time initial process. It has been done in Christ, but then each day we have to continue to believe it's done and make choices that crucify those desires. And that can get very practical. At the same time walking by the spirit is more the proactive side of things that we've got to do to feed the spirit of God. It's like there's two engines within us. There's one engine that points forces us backwards, that's the engine of the flesh. It's it's like a single prop engine. But then there's this turbo-powered engine that points us forward. This the power of the Spirit of God. And they're both running, but the, the Spirit of God will have victory as we feed the Spirit of God, as we give it the diesel or the turbo fuel that it needs instead of feeding the prop engine of desire. We've got to feed the desires of the Spirit instead of the desires that our sinful desires have. And we will see measured progress in our life, forward progress. So how do we do that? Well, Paul gives us a little insight back in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul describing this own process in his life in 2.20. When we studied this, you might remember he said, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So here I see two aspects. First of all, he says, the key to my new life in Christ is Christ in me is living. That's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Christ is in Paul living out his life. And so what is Paul supposed to do? Paul's primary responsibility is faith. Striving and laboring in faith. He says... I believe I, my, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So He's daily applying the truths of the gospel to His life. I am dead to that sin. I can say no to that sin. I have The snake's head has been cut off. I can have victory here. I don't have to say yes to this temptation. And God sees me as righteous and holy. So, The past is gone and the future is before me. I want to live for His glory. I have His unconditional love and acceptance and that motivates me and empowers me to live for the glory of God. I live by faith. But what about the power of the Spirit of God? He says, Christ lives in me. That component tells me we have one major striving and laboring that we need to be about. And that's prayer. The prayer is an incredible gift from God. Do you realize what prayer is? We have been going through as a staff, uh, Ham has kind of been leading us to to think about this, and it's been really powerful. Prayer is the incredible gift that this this powerful, all-powerful creator has said You have the privilege to direct my work, to direct my power in specific situations where specific needs according to your faith and according to my will. That's amazing. I mean, that means when you heard last week you have been set free to forgive others and you said there's just no way. Then you've got to begin striving and laboring by faith in prayer. Lord, your spirit has got to change my heart because I know this is not your will. I feel enslaved to to anger and vengeance and bitterness. And I need you, God, by the power of your spirit to do a work in me. And I am convinced this is your will. It is so clear. This is your will. Why would you not want to do this, Lord? Please change my heart. My wife prayed that dangerous prayer. As I came home one day and said, I think the Lord might be calling us to North Carolina to, to, to pastor a church before this church was in existence. And she said, I'm scared. I don't know. And, and I said, well, I don't know if it's God's will, but I know it's your, His will for you to pray about it. And so she did. And for all day and all night, she said, all I could pray because I didn't want to pray. All I could pray was change my heart, oh God. Change my heart. Change my heart. And she fell asleep praying, change my heart. And when she woke up, guess what? God changed her heart. And it led to this church being planted. She said, I don't understand it, and you may not believe it, but God has changed my heart, and he has told me we're supposed to plant this church in Norse Ferry. And I said, who are you and what do you do with my wife? My wife does not talk like that. She talks about spreadsheets with all the data in place. Then we move. But God had changed her heart. And so, as you see God calling you to, to love and to forgive and to obey and fulfill the, the will of God, what do you need to be set free from? Start praying, God, set me free from that. And believing that He will set you free from that. But not only that, we see another great passage in John 15. In John 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about this very topic. And he says, "...abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me." Jesus says, "...I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." And then he goes on a few verses later and he talks about abiding as trusting and obeying the word of God. And so he's saying, you want to bear the fruit of God? You want to be set free from these desires of the flesh so that you can bear the fruit of love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness to the glory of God to fulfill the mission, the very reason you exist? Well, you have to pray, God, do your thing, work through me, set me free from these things And then you need to get into a relationship with Him. A trusting, abiding, walking relationship with Him. The Christian life is not just passive, sit back and let God do His thing. It's choosing with your own will, I will obey God. And you know why that's so important? Not because it's earning something with God, because it is actions demonstrating your faith in the gospel. It's saying, I believe so much that I am free from these things, that I have been crucified with Christ, filled with the Spirit of God. I'm going to start acting like it. I'm going to start obeying what the Word says. I'm going to start forgiving. I'm going to start treating people as if they've never sinned against me. And guess what happens? It crucifies those fleshly desires of anger and resentment. And so it's this dual activity. Pray, God, help me. Depend on the Spirit of God. This is not just a fleshly effort. It's God, do your thing powerfully in me and through me. And now I'm going to start living like it's true. And I'm going to obey. And I'm going to read the Word of God so that the Word of God fills my mind and my heart and reshapes my whole worldview of everything, of myself, of God, and of His will. The idea of the word of God being very powerful and the promises of God is seen in 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. He says, grace and peace, fruit of the spirit, right? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, Through the true knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. So that by them, by those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Do you see how it all works together? That's why there's Sunday School Answers, read your Bible and pray. Because that's God's plan. When you understand that you have been set free by Christ, your response is one of passionate desire to depend on the Holy Spirit, to produce fruit in your life and you believe the gospel and the promises of God about who you are and who God is and what He's done for you in the cross, so much so that you start living it out, acting like it before you even feel like it. And when you start obeying in faith you start carrying out the mission of God, the transformation is being fed, the the, the turbo engine of the Spirit is being fed through your faith, your prayer, your obedience, and the transformation just starts rapid fire. Now you're the saints just running up and down the field. Amen? I got that amen. (laughs) Amen. So hopefully if you came in here today struggling and feeling like, man, I don't feel so free, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. I've trusted Jesus, but I just feel tangled up. That you will find in this hope you have been set free. And you will continue to be set free over the long term of your life. You will see progressive change and victory in your life. But I hope you're also challenged that you don't abuse freedom, which is what Paul started when he led into this. Your freedom in Christ doesn't mean kick back on your recliner, put your heels up, and just wait for God to make you feel like doing something. Because there's a war. There's a battle. The defensive line is coming, and you got the ball. The only way you're going to make forward progress is if you start driving those feet and moving them backwards and keep pressing on, keep striving, keep working, but do it knowing the Spirit of God is the one who's going to produce that fruit in your life. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, it's it's so important that you use the Spirit's power to transform our lives. Lord, we want to be your missional people. We want to be people who go and, and love those who are cruel to us, forgive those who don't really even want our forgiveness, to be kind and serve those who are hard to serve, and to just display your glory to the ends of the earth. Lord, by your love will they know that we are your disciples. When your love flows through us, you'll be glorified, and people will fill this place to worship you and to experience such a community of love. But Lord, we can't do it in our own strength. We need your power, your grace, your Holy Spirit. And so we're asking through the precious gift of prayer that you would work in our hearts mightily. That we will believe the gospel. That we can say no to sin. That we must say no to sin. And that we have truly been set free. And that each day we wake up, that we would battle and we'd crucify the flesh through obedience and faith and prayer, and that we believe what the Word says, that we would work hard to be diligent students of the word so we would really understand the whole story of the bible and what it means in context that we would not just flippantly flop the bible open and throw a verse here and there but we would be diligent students not so that we can be puffed up in knowledge but so that we can love others we can know the love and the promises of god and and the Spirit's will in our lives so that we can walk in your ways according to the wisdom that is in the Scriptures, that we will be empowered to to move mountains through faith as you've led us, that this city will be transformed by us going and sharing love and grace of, of Jesus Christ, that you would move us and make us your missionaries. Lord, I pray that as people go out this week to their workplaces, to to be parents of children, to their neighborhoods, that you would make us missionaries. Every single person here who was saved for that purpose, that we would learn how to walk by the Spirit so that your glorious fruit would be shining forth in our life and that we would be a glorious display to your name. Lord, fill this church up. Make us run out of space. Make us have to figure out how to make more room. Fill this place with people who want to know more about you. Lord, help us. Do this in us and through us as we strive and labor to represent you in this world. It's in Christ's name we pray.